0: So, two weeks ago, Marlene Kleps was here, and as she was speaking, there were numerous times when a statement that she made just cut right into my heart. In the gospel of, uh, it's not the gospel, in the book, first book of Acts, when Peter is um, giving that first sermon after he's filled with the Holy Spirit, at the end, it talks about all the people who were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do, Peter? Tell us, what must we do? And he led them into salvation. 3,000 people. There was an anointing of the Holy Spirit, powerful anointing through this same man who, you know, a few weeks earlier had been denying Jesus in fear. And because of that, all those people were saved. Well, when Marlene spoke two weeks ago, I felt like I was in that story. Because there were so many nuggets that she was giving that were just literally cutting me to the heart. So I went home that night and the next morning, and I was reading the scriptures, and I was in prayer, and saying, God, there's more. I knew that the nuggets were powerful, but I didn't have, it was Marlene's revelation, it wasn't mine. Can't you turn me up just a teeny bit now? And I knew that it was, that God wanted it to be mine. And I was journaling, and that's basically what he said to me. He said, Cindy, you're right. Spend time meditating on this because my people need to hear it. So I'm going to go back to what God was speaking to me that night. And I'm going to tell you specifically when Marlene said this or when she said that so that you can connect the dots as well. But my heart is to share something that is life-changing in our walk of receiving healing. So the title of this is Praise, Power, and Authority. The first scripture I want to share is Matthew chapter 6. And this is where Jesus is giving the model prayer to the apostles when they ask him, how do we pray, how do we pray Jesus? And this is part of that model prayer. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've prayed that over myself and over the ministry and over individuals many, many, many times. And when I pray that prayer, I'm basically saying, God, let heaven invade earth. God, as it is in heaven, come right now in this individual, in this situation, whatever it is. And I've used that prayer. And prayed that word lots and lots of times. But Marlene said something new. She said, that might mean something than what we've always thought it meant. Or it might be, mean something in addition to what we always thought it meant. Marlene said, where is God in heaven? He's enthroned on a throne With praise and worship, continuously, constantly being lifted up to him. And Marlene said, maybe that's what that's talking about. That just as God is enthroned on the praises of the people in heaven, that's what it means to say, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And it has something to do with being enthroned on the praises of the people. So before we go to the next scripture, I want to read a little excerpt from a book. This is a book that was written in 1898. It's This is a treasure. I buy these in multiple copies. You don't know about it? Because I buy this and I give it to people when they've chosen to go to heaven or I give it to the spouse or the loved one of somebody who's gone to heaven. It's called Within the Gates. It was written by a woman named Rebecca Springer and it's it's about her remarkable vision of paradise. I have no idea where I got this book. It was on my bookshelf and I was looking for a book to read and I thought, hmm. And when I started reading it, I think God put it on my bookshelf. It is a treasure. Every time I read this book, and I've read it many times, it's only like a 30-minute read. Every time I read it, I feel like I am literally in the presence of the, the most beautiful experience ever. And when Rebecca tells about her remarkable vision of heaven, it's, it's, it's hard to understand because in the perspective of time, it doesn't match our time frame. But in this book, she goes to heaven. She's very sick. She goes to heaven and has a heavenly experience. It seems like it lasts for months, according to the way the story goes that she writes. But then she comes back into healed. She's healed. She's back on earth healed. And that's how she can share the vision with us. But she tells about different aspects of heaven. And it is is verified by reading a lot of scripture. I read the Bible and I say, that's what Rebecca saw in heaven. So in this particular chapter, it's entitled, A Visit to the Grand Auditorium. Okay, the scripture says, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, God, your will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. And now listen to this description of heaven. Then the heavy curtains back of the platform parted, and a tall form, about whom all the glory of heaven seemed to center, emerged from their folds and advanced toward the middle of the platform. Instantly, the vast concourse of souls arose to their feet and burst forth as with one voice into the great anthem in which we had so often joined on earth. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels' prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Such a grand chorus of voices, such unity, such harmony, such volume was never heard on earth. It rose. It swelled. It seemed to fill not only the great auditorium but heaven itself. And still, above it all, we heard the voice of the angel... The angel choir, no longer breathing the soft, sweet melody, but bursting forth into joyous songs of triumphant praise. A flood of glory seemed to fill the place, and looking upward, we beheld the great dome ablaze with golden light, and the angelic forms of the no longer invisible choir in its midst, with their heavenly harps and violas, and their faces um, only less radiant than that of him whose praises they sang. And he, before whom all heaven bowed in adoration, stood with uplifted face and kingly appearance, the very God of heaven and earth. He was the center of all light, and a divine radiance surrounded him that was beyond compare. As the hymns of praise and adoration ceased, all sank slowly to their knees, and every head was bowed and every face covered as the angel choir Um, Chanted again in the familiar words. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. Amen. The saints, the angels, praising the very God of heaven. Praising, worshiping, falling prostrate in adoration. As the King of Kings is in their very midst, in their very presence. The next scripture that I want to share connects this scripture with us today. This is Psalm 22.3, and Marlene shared this. But you are holy, O God. O you who are enthroned in the holy place where the praises of Israel are offered. We are now the people, the chosen ones. So we are the new Israel. And this scripture, in this psalm, we're praising him. God, you are holy. And then it says, you are enthroned in the holy place of the praises of your people. You are enthroned, oh God, on the praises of your people. So this is what Marlene said. She said, suppose that bringing heaven to earth saying, God, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, proclaiming, God, send heaven here to earth, happens when we enthrone him on our praises because he inhabits the praises of his people. So I looked at that word enthroned, and it means to be placed on a throne. When we enthrone God on our praises, We are placing him on a throne. It means to invest with sovereign authority and to exalt. So I was meditating on that definition and I was thinking about praising God and worshiping him. What if when we from our heart in spirit and truth praise him we are enthroning him in our lives? What if In that atmosphere of heartfelt praise, we are literally giving him lordship over our lives. We are saying, God, you are on the throne. You are God in this situation in my life. But not only that, we are in that position of complete surrender to his almighty authority and power. We're going to talk about the authority and power in just a minute but we enthrone him on the throne of our lives. We surrender, surrender. That's so important. Continuously surrender to his authority and we exalt him. When we exalt God, we are seeing from the proper perspective how great he is and how big he is. And how our situation is so much smaller than our huge, great, mighty God. And that all takes place as we praise. As we enthrone him through our praises. So Marlene made that huge point that really settled in my heart. I want to go a little bit further on this same vein. I'm going to pray right now a scripture. It is my favorite scripture. I have declared that now. I always say, well, it's one of my favorites because I love lots and lots of scriptures. But I am declaring this is my number one favorite scripture in the whole Bible. I declare it every day. And every time I do, something lifts up in my soul. It's Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. And basically what I do as I, as I declare this scripture is I am making a choice to bless God. I'm making a choice to declare he is great. And then I am reminding, remembering his benefits. But what I want to do today is I want to read it from the Passion Translation. This is so absolutely beautiful. It is like a love story being sung to God or being spoken to God. So let me just read this. And if you, want to, if you want to pour out your love to him with me, you are welcome to read this out loud with me. God, with my whole heart, with my whole life, and with my innermost being, I bow in wonder and love before you, the holy God. Yahweh, you are my soul's celebration. How could I ever forget the miracles of kindness you've done for me? You kissed my heart with forgiveness in spite of all I've done. You've healed me inside and out from every disease. You've rescued me from from hell and saved my life. You've crowned me with love and mercy. You satisfy my every desire with good things. You've supercharged my life. So that I soar again like a flying eagle in the sky. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Oh my gosh, it's just beautiful. I I just, that's the word of God. Those are the promises of God. And when you read them in the the traditional, um, like New King James, it is, um, I don't know what the grammatical word is, but it's like present ongoing Like he forgives every one of all our iniquities. He heals every one of all our diseases. He redeems us from the pit. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. And he satisfies our mouth with good things. So our youth is renewed like the eagles. So we can take that and say, God, this is who you are in my life every day, all day. So as we declare a scripture like that, or just our own heart, or amazing worship songs to our God, that's what we're doing. We are enthroning him in our life. We are exalting him. We are surrendering to him. And the whole atmosphere changes. There's another scripture. It's Hebrews 13, 15. It talks about praise being a sacrifice. In the Old Covenant, there was a sacrificial system. And as the, the animals were slaughtered and, and the, the fragrance arose to God, it was pleasing to him. But that's the old covenant. And we are now under a better covenant. And God says that the sacrifice he desires now is our sacrifice of praise. In this scripture... It says, through him, and it's referring to Jesus. Through Jesus, therefore, let us at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. It says a sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise. Praise is a choice. We cannot allow our emotions to get in the way of our making a choice to praise God. We can't wait to feel like praising God before we praise him. A sacrifice means giving God your best no matter what the circumstances. And a sacrifice costs something. In the case of fighting a battle, you have to put yourself outside of that battle and say, I don't care about that battle. I choose to worship you, God, because you're worthy. I choose to exalt you because you're bigger than this problem. But it takes, it's cost something. It might cost your comfort level if you're in pain. It might cost your your emotions if you're not feeling like praising God in any way, fashion, or form. It costs something. What does it look like? It looks like It tells us right here, the fruit of our lips. So it's a vocal expression. It comes out of our mouth. It might be words. It might be a psalm. It might be a word or a promise from God. It might be our free worship, our free words. It might be song. It can be anything, but it's from our lips. It's a vocal expression. It's not a silent expression. It's a vocal expression. And it's a vocal expression that thankfully acknowledges God acknowledges the bigness of God, the goodness of God, what God's done in your life, what he's done, the testimonies that you know about, that he's done in other people's lives, what he's done in the word. It's thankfully acknowledging our great big God, and it's confessing and glorifying his name. Confess means to agree with God. Glorifying means like you like you already stated to put your eyes on him instead of man put your eyes on him instead of the doctor's report put your eyes on him and his name we're going to talk more about his name as we go but here's another key in order to do this it takes faith you can't praise God in the midst of a battle without faith because what you're doing is you're making a choice to say God I'm looking at you. I am taking a step, and I'm looking at what your word says. I'm looking at you. I'm putting my eyes on you instead of that problem. That takes faith. Faith is believing what you don't yet see. And when you're choosing to praise God, your healer, when your body doesn't look healed, that's faith. And that's powerful. Kathy and I were worshiping and praising together a couple weeks ago. And God has put a a beautiful worship song on her heart called Raise a Hallelujah. And we were worshiping with that song. And in the middle of our worship, it was like, I need to know exactly what hallelujah means. So I opened my dictionary app and I looked it up. And it took me by surprise. It, has, it had three words. This is on dictionary.com. This wasn't on a concordance or anything. It was just on a dictionary app. Three words. The first two didn't surprise me. The first two were praise and worship. The third word was rejoice. And Kathy and I stopped and it was like, we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice right now. Rejoice is a, is a choice. Rejoice is saying God, you're amazing. I am filled with joy because of who you are and what your word says. The word hallelujah literally means praise and worship and to rejoice. The Bible also says that in Philippians 4, um, 6 or 4, 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Ongoing, continuously, constantly, Here's another aspect to enthroning God on our praises. This is Revelation 12, 11. Marlene shared this. This is another one of those that just wowed me when she shared it. The scripture says, And they overcame and conquered him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. When you read this in context, that pronoun, him, is recurring, referring to the enemy. So, it says, they overcame and conquered the enemy because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So, the blood of the lamb, we know Jesus paid the price in full, once and for all. It's done. He defeated the power of the enemy. He defeated sin and he defeated the curse. He defeated sickness. He defeated pain. Because of the blood of the lamb. And it's past tense. It's already done. But this is what Marlene said. She said, without our testimony, the blood of the lamb won't work. That was Whoa. She said, now it's probably 99% the blood of the lamb. But without us agreeing, without us taking a stand with our testimony. Because there's a word and. It doesn't say or. It doesn't say they overcame the enemy, because of the blood of the Lamb or the word of their testimony. It says and they are both necessary. The definition of testimony is testifying of the goodness of God. They overcame the enemy and all of his junk, including pain and sickness and bad stuff in your life. The enemy's purpose of stealing, killing, and destroying. They overcame, and this refers to me too, we overcome the enemy by what Jesus did and by testifying of the goodness of God. That's what testimony is. And that can look a lot of different ways. It can look like opening your Bible and looking up the good news, the promises, and declaring them and testifying of this good news, this good report. We might call them declarations. That's one way we can testify of the goodness of God. Another way is by singing and praising him. How great he is. Another way is by remembering what he's done in your life. And sharing what he's done already. And saying God you did this. And you did this. And you did this. That's testifying of the goodness of God. But this promise is that we overcome the enemy. When we when we remember what Jesus did and when we testify of his goodness. That's part of enthroning him. That's another way of worshiping him. It pleases him when we, when we declare his goodness and when we keep our eyes on him instead of the issue. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a little praise break and we are going to sing a song called Be Enthroned. We're talking about He's enthroned upon the praises of his people, so let's do it. Let's enthrone him right now on our praises. Remember, praise is a vocal expression. So even if you can't sing, say the words. That's what I do if it's out of my range. Because right now my voice has got kind of a low range for whatever reason. It's doing a weird thing. But that doesn't matter. I can praise him with whatever's in here. I'm going to praise my God. I also praise him with my, my posture. Now you might not feel comfortable, but you know what? The Bible says, lift up holy hands. The Bible says to dance, to sing, to whatever. So whatever, you know, and especially at home when nobody's watching. You know, just praise him with all your heart. A moment ago I spoke when I was talking about the sacrifice of praise. That when we do what we just did, we're in faith. And faith is pleases God. Hebrews eleven six. 6, listen to this. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. That's the fullness of life that Jesus came to give. A life filled with Blessings. There's a connection between our faith and the reward, the fullness of life with Jesus that he came to provide. But the the flip side is also true. There's another scripture in Hebrews 10 that I want to share with you. I shared this a couple weeks ago when I was teaching on patient endurance, but I'm going to read uh, four verses. And it all has to do with our faith. I'm going to start with verse 35. So don't lose, this is for you, Kelly. This is for you, Nathan. Don't lose your bold, courageous faith, for you are destined for a great reward. Amen. You need the strength of endurance to reveal the poetry of God's will. And then you receive the promise in full. Isn't that good? I love the passion. You receive the poetry of God's will. And you receive the fullness of promise of his promise. For soon and very soon, the one who is appearing will come without delay. And he also says, my righteous ones will live from my faith. But if fear holds them back, my soul is not content with them. But we, and I'm talking right now about you and me in this room right now, but we are certainly not those who are held back by fear and perish. We are among those who have faith and experience true life. Amen. Amen. That's a declaration. I'm believing it. Because we're in an atmosphere right now where you're coming to a healing class. You're coming to hear truth about the word, about healing. We are in that last verse. We are not, we are certainly not those held back by fear. If you were, you wouldn't be here. We are not held back by fear and perish. We're among those who have faith and experience true life. But what I really want to look at is the verse before that, where it says, if fear holds them back, God says, my soul is not content with them. My soul, I'm just just paraphrasing now, God's soul is burdened god's soul is not pleased god's heart is broken when we are held back by fear so the question is why i believe that the reason god is burdened when we're burdened, when we're weighed down with fear instead of faith is because he can't get his will through from the spiritual realm to our natural realm. I want to read this from my notes. God's will cannot be fulfilled without us in agreement with his will. And when we allow fear to hold us back, God has no pleasure because he isn't able to fulfill his word and his will in our life. Because we're not in faith. We're in fear. The enemy cannot change the finished work of Christ, but he can stop, the enemy can stop God's word from being fulfilled in us because one of the enemy's big tactics is fear and stuff that leads to fear. Words people speak, diagnoses you hear, symptoms you have. Some of them aren't real, some of them are. Some of them are literally counterfeit, Some of them are very real because of an issue in your body. But the point is the enemy uses that stuff to try to stir up fear. So the enemy can't stop God's word. It's done. He can't stop God's will. It's done. His perfect will is completed. But he can stop us from receiving by getting us to buy into fear. And that's why God's not pleased. It must break his heart when he's done everything to provide the answer. And yet... We aren't receiving because we're focused in this place of fear. I want to read an email that I got yesterday on the, on the internet, on our website. This is a woman who lives in Germany, and it reeks with fear. The only reason I'm reading this is because I want you to see how fear can irrationally take somebody and twist everything completely around so I'm going to paraphrase part of it. The woman's fear issue is because her young son was um, with her brother and, and um, was out in the sunshine and got a very bad sunburn. The brother didn't put sunscreen on the little boy. So this is a little boy. The mother is petrified that her son is going to get skin cancer. And this is what she says. I am already a very fearful person, but now this haunts me, and I think he will develop skin cancer one day. I am also... Oh, she's upset with her brother for not putting the sunscreen on. Um, I had a horrible week. I could not eat and sleep and only cried. Please pray for us. I am worried about his health. I cannot shake the fear. Today was very bad again with the fear. I feel so bad and it burdens me that I let him go with my brother and I trusted him. But do you hear the fear? She's literally sick with fear. So I responded to this woman with a lot of the things that I'm sharing with you today. Because that's irrational. That, that is the enemy taking something, that episode of the little boy getting sunburned and having his skin peel, to such a point that she is consumed with fear. Kathy? Yes, she is. You're right. You're right. You're right. Many of you know my story that I cursed myself with that same thing, but I didn't know any better. It wasn't a fear thing in me. It was the words I spoke. I said, I know I should wear sunscreen. I can get skin cancer. I know that I shouldn't um, um, uh, use a, a low SPF. I could get some skin cancer. I know I shouldn't do the tanning thing because I would do that before I went on a Jamaica vacation every year. I would do like a week or two weeks of tanning booths because I could get skin cancer. So I spoke that stuff. I didn't know any different. So Kathy, you're right, but she's definitely speaking it. So that burdens God because he's not able to get his will through to us. I want to make a statement now. It's on your notes. I wanted to make sure you had this in writing about a lie that's out in the world that is very, very, very dangerous. First, I'm going to tell you a truth, and then I'm going to tell you a lie, and I'm going to explain it. The truth is, God has an amazing, perfect will for us, and it's given to us in His Word. His Word is His will. And we see in his word that it is his will to heal. Now, when I teach our foundational study in the fall, I will go deep into scriptural evidence that it is God's will to heal. But bottom line is, God's word is his will, and it is always his will to heal. However, God's perfect will does not mean it will automatically come to pass in our lives. If it meant that, there would be no sickness. We have a will too. We have a free will. God has given us a free will. And our free will needs to agree with God in order for his will to come to pass in our lives. So, now here's the lie. That's God's perfect will. The lie is that God's perfect will, I'm going I'm to read this so I say it right, God's perfect will is for healing. But here's the lie. God does not cause sickness, but he does allow it. How many of you have heard it? I have used to speak that. In fact, that's in my Bible study. I need to reprint that, but I got thousands, well, not thousands, hundreds of books at home. When I teach it, I change that. It's not God allowing sickness. Here's the bottom line. Jesus came to give life and a life of abundance. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. If it's stealing, killing, and destroying, it is not God. God does not stand back and let the devil do his thing. Now you might say, what about Job? Let me tell you about Job. That was before Jesus defeated the enemy. That was before the curse was absorbed into Jesus. It's no longer, we're in a better covenant, a much better covenant. So let me explain. I'm going to just read it from my notes. It is not, that is not true. Jesus came to give life. The enemy is the one that came to steal, kill, and destroy. It's our choice to believe God. It's our choice to receive his perfect will. He has completed his work. He's completed it. He's done it. It's finished. But now, and here's where we're going, he's commissioned us with authority to uphold that will. He's given us authority, but we need to exercise our authority. And the whole rest of this session, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about our authority. So this is what I say now. I don't say God allows sickness. I say God allows us to allow it. Because he's given us a free will. Now, there's a, another whole huge teaching about the whys. There's, that's a big question. And it's a good question. And it's okay to ask the why question. Well, then why? Why didn't this person get healed? Or why did this person even get sick when they're a very strong believer? Those are good questions. And I can address that at another time. And I do, again, in that 10-week Bible study, we go there and we address that question. But here's what I want you to walk away with today God doesn't take his hands off and allow sickness. But he's given us a free will, and he's given us authority to take a stand. And we need to exercise that authority. So that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of this session. So what Marlene did a couple weeks ago was she quickly talked about a series of scriptures that had to do with authority and power. And I went home and I started reading and meditating on those scriptures. And it just started to open up in a new way to me. First one I want to read is from Luke chapter 7. This is the account of the centurion's servant. We're going to be talking about authority. God doesn't allow sickness. He has given us authority over it. But he doesn't get in our way because he's given us a free will. So what does that mean? What does that authority mean? Listen to the scripture. After Jesus finished giving revelation to the people on the hillside, he went on to Capernaum. There he found a Roman military captain, the centurion, who had a beloved servant he valued highly, and the servant was sick to the point of death. When the captain heard that Jesus was in the city, he sent some respected Jewish elders to plead with him to come and heal his dying servant. So they came up to Jesus and told him, the Roman captain is a wonderful man. If anyone deserves to have a visit from you, it's him. Won't you please come to his home and heal his servant? For he loves the Jewish people, and he even built our meeting hall for, for us. So this, this centurion was Roman. He was not of the Jewish race. He wasn't one of the chosen ones. But Jesus, go to the next slide, immediately said, yes, I will. And he started to go with them. But on his way there, he was stopped by friends of the captain who gave this message. Master, don't come to me. Don't bother to come to me in person. For I'm not good enough for you to even enter my home. I'm not worthy enough to even come out to meet one like you. But if you would just release the manifestation of healing right where you are, I know that my young servant will be healed. Unlike you, I'm just an ordinary man, yet I understand the power of authority. That's key. And I see that authority operating through you, Jesus. I have soldiers under me who obey my every command. I also have authorities over me whom I likewise obey. So master, just speak the word and healing will flow. Jesus marveled at this. He turned around and said to the crowd who had followed him, Listen, everyone. Never have I found even one among the people of God, a man like this, who believes so strongly in me. Jesus then spoke the healing word from a distance. When the man's friends returned to the home, they found the servant completely healed and doing fine. So this man said, I understand the power of authority. In this man's life, he was under authority of the the leadership over him. And they had authority over him. But he had authority over the people beneath him. And all he had to do was speak the word. And they would follow his command. And he said, Jesus, the same is true with you. I've watched you. I've seen you. Jesus, let's think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus was the, the he, he himself said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. We see Jesus in the word constantly going to a solitary place to pray, to seek his father's direction, his will, his voice, his plan. He was under... The authority of his father. He was completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that more next week. And what happened? The authority flowed through him, the power flowed through him to heal, to restore, to cast off demons. And that centurion saw it. And he said, All you have to do is say the word, and he'll be healed. Because he understood the power of authority. So the next series of scriptures I want to read are where we see this start to unveil through the people in the church. That was Jesus. Now we're going to start to see how that same truth of authority and delegated authority came through the apostles after Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. So I'm going to start with Acts chapter 3. One afternoon, Peter and John went to the temple for the three o'clock prayer. As they came to the entrance called the Beautiful Gate, they were captured by the sight of a man crippled from birth, being carried and placed at the entrance of the temple. He was often brought there to beg for money from those going into worship. When he noticed Peter and John going to the temple, he begged them for money. Peter and John, looking straight into the eyes of that crippled man, said, Look at us. Expecting a gift, he readily gave them his attention. And then Peter said, I don't have money, but I'll give you this. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Peter held out his right hand to the crippled man, and as he pulled the man to his feet, suddenly power surged into his crippled feet and ankles. The man jumped up, stood there for a moment, stunned, and then began to walk around. As he went into the temple courts with Peter and John, he leapt for joy and shouted praises to God. So Peter and John invoked the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They spoke out his name and power went through them to heal the man. The power in Jesus' name healed that man. Now, they didn't just say Jesus. They said Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Christ was declaring who he was. In the Old Testament, that same word was Messiah. The Hebrew word was Messiah. In the New Testament, it's Christ. Both Messiah and Christ mean the anointed one, anointed by the spirit of God, anointed by the power of God. Because Jesus was the anointed one with the power and the authority of God that that healing happened. They invoked his name and healing happened. Now, in the old in that day, the names were so important. The name of the man, the name of the woman um, was closely connected to their character, to their, the, their, their giftings, to their life itself. You couldn't separate them. Their name and their, and their person were directly connected. And when they invoked the name of Jesus, they were invoking everything that his name held. His character, his power, his, his, um, the way that he manifested The miracles, the signs and wonders that gave evidence to who he was. All that was in his name. So when Peter and John invoked his name, that man got healed. We pray in the name of Jesus. Wow. Just like Peter and John we are invoking the name of Jesus the authority the power of Jesus when we pray but i believe we need to have that in our heart and our mind when we're praying and not just you know a memorized regurgitation of something we always say when we pray so here's something that I'm learning about. Kent and I were talking about this before. I want to try to explain this as clearly as I can. There's something called a power of attorney. Think, Kent, I think my batteries are kind of going in and out. I might have to use the handheld. Anyway, there's something called a power of attorney. Power of attorney, if you give somebody the power of attorney, for example, we have written in our, um, whatever you call that, uh, trust. We have it written that our son is our power of attorney. So if we are not able to be present or to make decisions, we give our son that right to make those legal decisions for us, to act on our behalf the way we would choose. And we've talked to Chad about our choices and that kind of thing, about specific things. That's called power of attorney. You want me to use the other mic, honey? He said the batteries might not last. I'll turn this one off so I don't over double do. Okay, are we good now? Okay, so Jesus has given us, he has delegated to us power of attorney to use his name and to uphold his word, his will, and it's legal it's binding. We have been commissioned with the authority, the power. We have the power of attorney delegated to us from Jesus himself. And that's why it is so powerful. Jesus says numerous times in the, in the gospels of John, ask anything in my name and it will be done. It will be given to you but I believe we need to know our legal rights. We need to know that we have that power of attorney. We need to know what the name of Jesus holds, the authority that we have. Now I'm going to move on to Acts chapter 4. So we saw Peter and John. I think I I left out one verse. Go to the next verse, honey. Let me back up just a minute. I'm still in verse, in chapter 3. They had just seen the man healed. The chief priests, the leaders, can't turn me up just a bit, The chief priests, the leaders, are questioning Peter and John because he healed somebody on a Sunday. And this is what they said. They said, it wasn't us. Don't look at us. We did nothing. It was faith in Jesus' name that healed that man. It's the faith that comes through believing in Jesus' name that has made this crippled man walk right in front of your eyes. Let's apply that to us. Faith is... In the power of Jesus and all that he is and all that he carried when he walked on this earth is ours today. It's been delegated to us. Let's go to the next chapter in Acts. This is Acts 4. There, um, <laughs> Peter and John were taken captive by the, the, the chief priests. Listen to this. I just, I just realized this. When Jesus was taken right before he was crucified. The first people he went before were Annas and Caiaphas, right? That's exactly who Peter and John are in front of in chapter 4, the same people that that turned Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. So Peter, who was so afraid that he denied Jesus when Jesus was being questioned, he's now standing before the same high priest with the same potential, to be persecuted, to be crucified. But he's now filled with the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was filled with. He's now filled with the same anointing, the same power, and he's got delegated authority from Jesus. They just saw a man healed from being crippled. And instead of cowering, they're standing up. And this is what they said. They're talking to Annas and Caiaphas right now. And they're saying, there is no one else who has the power to save us. For there is only one name to whom God has given authority. Hear that? There's only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation. The name of Jesus. That word salvation is so-so. Saved healed, delivered, made whole, set free. There's only one name whom God has given authority by whom we, whom, with whom we must be saved, healed, delivered, set free, the name of Jesus. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered they were just ordinary men who never had religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Standing there with them was the healed man. There was nothing further they could say. The proof. Jesus said, if you don't believe me, believe the works. And now the same thing is happening through the apostles. I'm going to move to chapter. Oh, I'm still in chapter four. Sorry. Sorry. Going to keep going. So Peter and John leave Annas and Caiaphas, and they go back to the believers, and they come together in prayer because they were being persecuted. And they went to God, and look at what they asked. This is their prayer. Now, Lord, listen to their threats to harm us. Empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. Stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. That delegated power of attorney. At that moment, the earth shook beneath them, casting the causing the building they were in to tremble. Each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. So they go back to the people. They say, let's pray. They pray for protection, but they also pray that they will be emboldened. Not not to be afraid, but to be in faith and to stand firm and that God would back them up with miracles and signs and wonders, that he would empower them. And then there was the earthquake as the the Holy Spirit once again filled them. The, The atmosphere of the Holy Spirit just fell upon that place. And then this came to pass. Their prayer came to pass in Acts chapter 5. Listen to this. The apostles performed many signs, wonders, and miracles among the people. And the believers were wonderfully united as they met regularly in the temple courts in the area known as Solomon's Porch. No one dared harm them, for they held them in high regard. Continually, more and more people believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Great crowds of both men and women... In fact, when people knew Peter was going to walk by, they carried the sick out to the streets and laid them down on the cots and mats, knowing the incredible power emanating from him would overshadow them and heal them. Great numbers of people swarmed from Jerusalem, from the nearby villages. They brought with them the sick and those um, troubled by demons, and everyone was healed. Okay, this is another statement Marlene made. It just wowed me. She said, we have the potential to grow in the level of authority we wield. The more authority we surrender to, the more authority we have. And that's what we see in Peter. We see him going from being afraid to stand up for Jesus to being filled with the Holy Spirit giving that huge sermon 3,000 are saved to healing the crippled man and seeing him get healed right under his eyes in his hands, going before Annas and Caiaphas with boldness and, and standing strong, being released, then going and praying for boldness and for signs and wonders and seeing that happen to such an extent that even his shadow was healing the people. And everyone that came was healed. They all were healed. That's just like when Jesus was on this earth. So here's my heart for me. <laughs> I'm just telling you, my heart for me. You can, you can take it too. My heart for me is to grow in surrendering to the authority of my king enthroned on my life, in my life, so that more power, more authority can flow through me so I can see you guys healed And everyone that I minister to. That's my heart. But I have a part to play. Submission. Surrender. Seeking. Pursuing. That's what Peter did. Not being afraid. Not having fear of man. So I am going to close with this scripture. This is a good one. Romans 16.20. This is from the Passion. And the God of peace will swiftly pound Satan to a pulp under your feet. And the wonderful favor of our Lord Jesus will surround you. The authority of God Almighty enthroned here, right now, right here, right here in this place, upon our praises, upon our heart, enthroned here. God, we come in a position of surrender to you a position of complete submission to you. We give you, God, lordship over our lives. May your authority, may your power be free to flow in us and through us so that when we speak to the sickness, when we speak to the pain, when we speak to the issue, it bows to your name because that's what you've given us. You've given us that authority. God, may we step into it and believe it. Our part is believing it, resting in it, and just letting you have your way. God, you are more than amazing. You are absolutely more than amazing.